Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 16 of Nature's Epion podcast. Uh, today, we are going to talk about a few things, mostly just things that have been in the news and relevant to this podcast. We have a paper called If I Fits, I Sits. We have, we're, I'm going to talk about polar bears for a little bit, and um, a major discovery under the Antarctic ice sheet. Ooh, mysterious. And uh, probably talk about a little story about some orcas and then um, a story about a badger. It's, it's quite the lineup. It's going to be very interesting. I hope everyone stays tuned in to listen to my, my opinions on uh, all of these um, nonsensical things. Well, actually, they're kind of interesting. They're not nonsense. Some of them have, like, bits of information to take away from it. So the first thing is the paper I Fits, I Sits, which seems to be titled after the sort of, like, cat video memes and pictures you see, you know, of cats sitting in boxes or just, like, obscure, weird areas where, you know, cats shouldn't be sitting, but they choose to sit anyway. And the paper's goal to explain was to basically explain why do cats love sitting in boxes so much we see it all the time you bring home like a new microwave a new fridge a new computer it comes in a big horrible fucking box that you got to break down and put in the recycling but before you do that the cats all over it like flies on shit they fucking love these things they 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 just they they just home in on it like a missile like a like a cat guided rocket launcher and you know we need science to explain why the fuck is the cat always coming over and making its home in these boxes we bring home and you know i thought this was a very important uh research paper and study that needs more funding and more attention because clearly these are the big uh issues facing uh you know nature these (laughs) these days um nonetheless it's still it's still like an interesting uh i still really like this paper so in a nutshell so in a nutshell i'm gonna so actually i'm I'm gonna explain like the uh the kind of like science behind the paper so what they did was they sent out these like big mats they're basically like big floor mats occupied a large area of your like floor and it's kind of like a twister mat you know you ever play twister um except it was like marked with different kind of like shapes uh most of them were a lot of them were squares or rectangles or boxes and these weren't like 3d they were just like painted on it was flat you know and some of them weren't squares they were like circles or kind of like i don't know like just ja- just jumbled messes of like half squares or half boxes and stuff like that and they wanted the owners to wear sunglasses so that their eyes wouldn't be like a visual cue to see where the cat preferred to sit but anyway so a lot of these cats they they would sit on this map but they would sit in the area where it was more box like and it was more like painted on where it was more like a box so these cats had like this weird like motivation or preference to sit in a 
an area where it's boxy and not like circular around even though it's not even like a like a box itself it's just like a shape on the ground um and i guess the nutshell takeaway from this is that cat's eyes are primed to detect enclosures and so much so that even like a mildly delineated like like square shape on like a 2d environment surface they'll still have a preference for that like they're just into finding these like enclosures i guess for like safety or like for hunting or prowling it's cats love boxes like they sleep in boxes like if you have a cat bed and it's box shaped they're gonna fucking love it if you you know they like to shit in boxes like they're they're obsessed with boxes and then when i was reading this article i kind of realized something i was like fuck like humans love boxes too like all our bedrooms are kind of boxy they're like mostly square our houses are like square our windows are square our door frames are square yeah like our computer like you know towers are square our tv screens are square. like everything's fucking square like our laptops are square our phones are like rectangle like they're all boxes basically and i thought maybe this this was like a like a shower thought i had it was like did humans and like cats like like become friends over time like we know the story of how like wolves and dogs evolved and how like the trade-off of like man's best friend came into existence we used to like attribute cats to being like they helped with vermin but what if it's like we just fucking both love boxes like we just love rectangles and we just like get on with them because like they're like yo you got a a mildly delineated 2d environment you know rectangular environment bro like i fucking love that shit and like we just like got on together because we both love like these fucking square shapes and we're just like you know then you think back to like ancient egypt they worship these things and these guys were just building fucking pyramids out of cubes and shit like they like they love squares and then i started thinking to myself my cat fucking loves me so I'm thinking I'm shaped like a goddamn Lego man probably. And like he sleep, it's always sleeping on my chest and like in between my legs. I'm like, does it only love me? Cause I have like an awkward body shape or something. And now I'm like looking in the mirror. I'm trying to see if I like, you know, if I'm built like a Lego man or not, if I'm like a rectangular box, it, it's I, this paper, this research paper was a fucking rabbit hole for me. I went down it and you know, if you're interested in it, I suggest uh, taking a look at it. Uh, I wish I had the names of the people that worked on it, but uh, the paper is called "If I Fits, I Sits," and you know, it, it might be it might be worth a, a look to go um, check it out. Um, so moving on to the next topic here, we have um, polar bears. Polar bears are fucking badass. So a lot of you know, like I'm Canadian. I live in Canada. And, uh, you know, we got a lot of great wildlife up here. And uh, some of those are uh, polar bear, obviously, in, like, the further north, like, more remote regions. But, um, so there was an article, basically, yeah, it was an article, it was a news article, and it was basically bringing attention to historical documentation that polar bears... Not only are they the most, like, 
the largest like apex predator in Canada. Yeah, they are bigger than grizzlies. And they're also like, you know, on land and in the water, effective predators. But um, apparently there's like historical documentation that these fucking things also throw rocks to kill shit. So like big fucking boulders and things like that. And what they would do is they would be on like a cliff edge. And they would basically throw these stones onto like a walrus's head and crush their skulls. Like how terrifying is that? The most apex predator is also just like a methodic killer and just like evolving, you know? Um, So basically in this article it says in 1865... Arctic explorer Charles Francis Hall published an account of polar bears on Baffin Island calculating distance and the curve with astonishing accuracy when they would throw these, you know, boulders onto like walruses, like thick skulls. Because I guess they're like, can you imagine the life of a walrus? Like not only are you like, like morbidly obese and like, horrible like whiskers but you're also like you you can't live in the water because orcas are going to eat your shit so you got and you can't go like too far inland because these polar bears are going to maul you to death so you got to live in like the most uncomfortable conditions of like the stoniest like shores and you're basically living on the borders of orca death polar bear death and you just got to kind of like toggle those options and hope they both don't show up at the same time. And then, so you're dealing with that like as a life problem. And now all of a sudden, you know, polar bears are just like, you know what? Every time I run at them, they just fucking dive into the water. So from now on, I'm just going to throw these fucking boulders at them and just crush them from above. Like walruses cannot catch a break. Um. So like there's a lot of articles about climate change you know causing polar bear numbers to go down it's affecting their ways they prey on you know sea lions and stuff they need like ice floats and shit like that to kind of get the upper hand and you know all those are melting it's not a good thing but like what if these motherfuckers that aren't dying are like evolving into like super predators and they're just like now they're like learning to throw rocks. So they're basically basically like a tool using animal now. They're like one step away from entering the stone age, which like, you know, they think was a big part of like human evolution. All they got to do now is like start cooking the walrus meat and you know, they're on their way. But uh you know, I'm being a little silly with all this, but um what else is there like i don't know there was a photographer named dimitri ko and i think that's how you spell it. it's k-o-k-h um that's how i don't know how to say it uh he he was photo he was photographing polar bears i think this was in europe or russia sorry i don't know i can't remember but uh these polar bears had taken over like abandoned houses and you got some really good shots of those. So I thought that was pretty fucking cool. And it's like, now these things are living in houses. 
they're they're throwing rocks with fucking astonishing accuracy, calculating curve and distance. They're taking over abandoned houses and like using them as like dens. Um, you know, I've heard stories of like polar bears like rolling into towns and just like the townspeople all just like having to be like, oh fuck, like, and they just like shut all the doors and stuff, and like they have to wait for all the bears to like disperse, and they just come in and just like destroy garbages and shit. Like they're just hungry, you know. And there's not much they can do against a fucking, like, troop of polar bears. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see where that goes. Hopefully, you know, they don't go extinct. And, you know, hopefully they don't come for us once they, <laughs> once they become even, like, stronger from uh, surviving climate change. Uh, and, um, yeah, that's all I got to say about that. Um what what i'll get to the uh major discovery under the antarctic ice sheet what what a sensational title it's like oh what is it is it aliens is it atlantis we don't know but uh it's a lot less exciting than that well i guess it depends on what your interests are so basically a giant ice fish breeding colony was found and by giant i mean absolutely fucking massive and it's super cool because like all these nests, like they're basically like dinosaur egg nests, except underwater. They're on like the ocean floor and they're just like, you know, little circles, you know, full of like eggs, I guess. And uh, they had 60 million, 60 fucking million active nests across 92 square miles. And this was only a thousand uh, feet below the ice sheet. So I don't know. That's really fucking cool if you ask me. Um, let's see, who was the researcher here? It was a uh, Lillian Boringer, student researcher at the Alfred Wagner Institute in Germany. She's the one, I guess, that discovered this, so good for her. Pretty fucking cool. Doing some stuff in Antarctica. Um these these ice fish are kind of neat, like uh they have transparent blood because uh they have no red blood cells uh or uh, hemoglobin. And the reason for that is because uh, they evolved to absorb oxygen through their skin instead of, like, I guess, their gills. And I guess uh, the Antarctic water is very rich in oxygen. So, yeah. Cool thing to know about fucking these ice, crazy ice fish, you know. What else will we discover? Like, we're always, like, very fixated on space and what else is out there in the universe and the galaxy. And rightfully so. It's... We need to get on that too, but there's so much here at home on earth that we haven't discovered. Like the ocean, the majority of our planet is ocean, is water. And we lack the technology and the resources and the, you know, financing to really, really see what is really going in and around all of that. And it's like, it's a, it's also like a 3D environment. Like we think of it as just being like, you know, you have the surface and the bottom, but there's like everything like in between and it's, there, there's a lot and it's all moving around. There's currents, and this and that, like, even if you could like get a picture of something at like one point, like if you could explore one area at a certain point, that might change seasonally throughout the year through like different currents. You know, there might be like uh broods of like different things like you know how like every year there's like a different brood of like you know insects that like hatch like what if there's like different kinds of like fish or like crustaceans that do crazy shit like that like there's so much 
there's so much to be discovered i think just waiting to be observed you know um i guess i could tie this into like this orchestoria article i read so basically the title of this was killer whale frees humpback from fishing line that probably wasn't the title but i feel like that's what the title should have been because it's very simplified and straightforward to the point so the crazy thing about this is that you may or may not know that um orcas aka killer whales you know they um prey on a humpback whales from time to time they like use them as like a food resource so seeing an orca help a humpback whale or like at least what was perceived to be helping a humpback whale is kind of like a like a curious thing to see in the animal kingdom so you know why why would an orca or killer whale okay so i'll get to i'll get to the story first so there was a humpback whale it had like a bunch of fishing line tied around its tail in and around it's like you know back end and uh this humpback whale looked like it was underweight it was like covered in parasites um it wasn't doing too well like obviously this rope this fishing line was doing a massive detriment to it and it was probably like you know getting on the death's doorstep it was in a weird area i think this happened near australia it was in a weird area of of the ocean that time of year it should be like somewhere further north in the like or cold somewhere colder i think like in the arctic i can't fucking remember what their migratory patterns are but uh unusual for that region this time of year but not unusual to see some orcas like bouncing around so we think you know i guess the researchers were thinking the people that wrote this article or the whale watchers whoever they were they thought oh this whale's probably here because it's having trouble swimming migrating because of this like rope you know, you know, here are the signs of it's like poor health because now it's having trouble like feeding on like, you know, the the fish it usually hunts and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so these these orcas came over, and I guess it looked like they were going to harass it, but what they described was that the orca kind of like made a few passes at it in like a weird way, and it like. It, it went to go check out the humpback and I guess it noticed the fishing line and it actually grabbed it. It bit the fishing line off. Like it took it to like, and it made like a weird like maneuver to like, I guess like pull it off. And then after it pulled it off, it just like kind of like fucked off and left it alone. And all the people watching it were just like, huh, that's super unusual to see. That's peculiar and um so like what are the reasons why an orca would do this so they were like some of the speculation was like perhaps it was just curious of the rope and dislodged it by accident you know it's just kind of like oh what's this long thing you know maybe it's like i don't know if orcas really eat like other whales like you know fecal matter or something or maybe it thought like it was giving birth and it thought like, oh, I'm going to latch onto that and bite it off. It's probably like a placenta or something or, you know. But I guess they're also known to like bite um, satellite tags off larger whales as well. So a lot of researchers will tag 
um, you know, satellite trackers onto them. They like, you know, shoot them with it and it like puts a tag in and the orcas are like smart enough to be like, what the fuck is that? And I just like bite it off, take it off and like spit it out. Uh, so it could have just been like one of those kind of behaviors, but then it kind of asked the question, like, why do they do that? But, uh, it's not unusual for an orca to actually, um, skin their prey. Like they'll do it with like giant squids and like other whales, like when, before they consume them. And they, they think the reason for this is because they're actively trying to avoid like the parasites and stuff like that. They don't want to consume them themselves. Which is, like, super fucking smart, like, when you think about it, like, people always talk about, like, how, like, SeaWorld and stuff is, like, um, inhumane, and people are underestimating the intelligence of these animals just because they're aquatic, but they, they have, like, an, like, a huge amount of intelligence that goes unestimated because they're not, like, manipulating and building in their environment and constructing things but they don't need to because they're well adapted they don't need houses they don't need clothes they're evolved to thrive in their environments where we aren't so we have to kind of circumvent those things um yeah so there's another thing to show that they have like some sort of intelligence they're not just like blind eaters they're like no that's not good for you to consume rip that off take that out um what what else can i say like the big takeaway in this is perhaps it's an example of the highly debated altruism in animals like did this orca just give this humpback whale like a second chance you know the i think some of the jokes in the like on this article were like they were just letting it fatten back up so they could eat it later but um yeah i don't know like is there altruism in animals like can they like humans hunt deer right we consume deer like not all of us but some of us and some of us feed deer like in our backyards or something or like leave it like apples out or don't hunt them or we have protected areas where there is no hunting and these deer populations that live within these areas don't really know human hunting you know, is it perhaps not the same for orcas, but, you know, maybe they have discretion. Like, you know, yeah, we prey on humpback whales, but we're not going to do them harm for no reason. Like, if we're hungry, we eat. But if we're not hungry, we don't eat. And, you know, if maybe they have some sort of, like, empathy. And they're like, oh, that guy's in a fucking shitty spot. He's got a fucking net around him. Well, yeah, we do eat those things, but, you know, it's kind of like when you see, like, a an animal that you consume regularly. If it's maimed or injured, you're not just going to immediately go kill it. You know, you're well-fed. You don't need to just kill something you find on the side of the road. You're going to help it and, you know, let it, lo- like, you know, give it a hand. So maybe it's, like, sort of like the same circumstance where it's, like, you know, maybe these animals just aren't always, like, kill or be killed you know maybe there's like a little bit of nuance and wiggle room in how they perceive things um yeah so and then the last the last little article i want to talk about is um a story from spain it was it was in usa today and 
a badger had 90 Roman era coins on the floor of its nest. And these dated back from, I want to say 200 to 400 AD. I can't really remember. But um, anyway, old as fucking Christ's coins. And actually, they're not that old. They're almost as old as that. And then, um, yeah, so it's kind of like the question becomes like, why are people so... uh, what happened was i guess this guy was kind of just like hiking through there and he came across them and he when he came across me notified like an archaeologist and what they end up doing was they stole all this poor badger's coins like this was probably his like life savings he probably like been saving up for like generations since like 200 ad passing down like the family line the family from badger to badger and you know it's a real shame that humans get involved and decide you know, we're going to take these for ourselves. But uh, upon further, like, excavating of the site, you know, they they end up finding, like, a, I think it was a total of 209 coins. So the Badger had collected 90 of the 209 coins. And you know what? He was probably, I mean, he might have been, like a, like, a scumbag Badger. He might have been, like, collecting taxes on all the other rodents in the, you know, in the area. Might have been, like, making all the voles and, like, mice pay, like, a fee to live on the hillside with him, you know, but maybe he was like that, uh, that hamster. What was his name? Mr. Gox. You guys hear about this? The crypto investing hamster who was killing it like last year in the crypto trade. If you haven't heard about this, you should look it up. He was like this hamster that they just put like cameras on his cage and stuff like that. And I guess he had like little buttons or something or food dishes that said like buy or sell. And anyway, this hamster's predictions, he was crushing it in the crypto market. He was making a shit ton of money. And, you know, what if Mr. I think he actually passed away. Super sad. But it's like super, it was super cool while it lasted. And, you know, he's definitely doing way better than me and my crypto investments. So why is a badger and a hamster better at, you know, investing in crypto than I am. Like they got tons of coins, you know, but they're getting getting robbed by, you know, our archaeologists. It's a shame. Um I don't know. Give the badger back his coins. Just let him like I feel like there's probably like folklore or like like something that's like you find an animal with coins in its den. Like you're gonna have like 25 years bad luck if you take one you know what i mean that's like something you you read about in like fairy tale it's like it's like oh that's a that's a leprechaun's house like leave that alone the badger's guarding them the some shit you know i don't know i wouldn't want to fuck with it <sighs> poor badger man I really feel for the guy anyway i think that's about it for this podcast um yeah i don't really got anything else to talk about that's about it um if you're enjoying the podcast if you're enjoying these episodes that i'm doing you know feel free to support me by just following sharing rating all that beautiful stuff hitting the notification bell 
checking me out on Instagram at Epion Explorers. That's E-P-Y-O-N-E-X-P-L-O-R-E-S. And yeah, just, you know, follow me. I do some like wildlife photography. I'm not very good at it, but I'm trying to get better. Um, and I'm not that active. I should probably be way more active at it. But uh, we're in like a very cold spike of winter right now when it warms up a little bit more. I plan on getting out there more more frequently. Uh, what else can I say? Yeah, you know, share the podcast. Get it out there. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Be like, yeah, listen. I listen to really bad podcasts, and I want to plague you with these really bad podcasts that I listen to too. And the reason for that is because, I don't know, I arbitrarily like this guy. And that would be cool with me if it's cool with you. Um, what else can I say? I don't know. I'm hopefully I bang out an episode tomorrow for you guys and I hope you enjoy it. I'm trying to get more nature photographers on like professionals to interview or amateurs. And I hope you give those a listen because you know, they, they are, they are artists and I think sometimes they go unappreciated because you you think of the of people who do photography as, oh, they just go around snapping photos. It's not really that big of a deal, yada, yada. And in some cases, that is true. But when it comes to like wildlife photography, sometimes you, or even nature photography, you're seeing something that's rare, uh, unusual, or like just like incredibly special. There are certain behaviors and things that animals do there's certain varieties of animals that are rare and some of these behaviors are unprecedented they're like newly discovered they're incredibly difficult to capture on uh in a still image photo um especially like ways they're like they're positioned or behaving uh they're very elusive and a lot of these photographers are very ethical in how they approach this um craft they don't use bait they don't you know they'll just stake out in the middle like the wilderness nowhere for hours like hours on end like cold conditions whatever the climate is you know and there are also potential risks with this because there are like predatory animals out there as well you know and they got to basically wear camouflage and they just got to sit there twiddling their thumbs hoping something comes along and sometimes there's zero reward for doing that and you know they'll spend 12 hours for like three days in a row going back to like similar spots or same locations and it won't be till like the third or fourth day where they actually get like an animal that shows up or and even when it does show up you know they got to be quiet sometimes like deer they're very very good at hearing things they can jump the shutter and just like the shutter closing can scare them uh a lot of like birds of prey are also very skeptical of people and like their cameras they don't know what the fuck it is they think it's like a gun or something but um yeah like they're they're showing they're they're bringing their love of like wildlife and nature to the internet to the masses of people and sometimes it's done in a very artful way where they've captured like the natural art of the world and put it into like a still image they've captured the light the photons 
and they've graphed them for you of the natural world and they're saying listen this is what i saw this is what you should go see this is what you should check out so if you see any podcasts on my thing and it says wildlife photographer nature photographer so-and-so or so something so-and-so photographer um check it out check out their websites check out their social media you know a lot of these people sell prints and stuff if you know if you have a love for wildlife you have a love for nature and these artists have produced something of quality that or something that you perceive as quality because it's always in beauty is always in the eye of the beholder and you think that it would be like a nice fit for like the theme of your house like i don't know about you guys but like a nice thing like i like having like a nature sort of sub themes in my house you know whether that's like group of seven paintings whether that's you know like nature inspired macrame or like kind of like like country style aesthetic sort of like cabin lodge looking stuff i like doing that so i don't mind supporting the odd creator or photographer here and there you know if they're if they're selling something that meets the my criteria of needs or you know in that niche or realm and it's like okay like this photo would look really good in my bathroom hanging on the wall or, or this print would look really good hanging on like you know above the fireplace or this and that and you know when you do it yourself you obviously want to surround yourself with a lot of the good images you take but if you don't do this stuff but you love people that love it and you love it i think support those people and i'm not saying support me don't like i'm not even selling anything yet i've been thinking about it but i'm saying support other people first and um yeah i don't know it'd be it's good man like a lot of these people they they volunteer they take on like wildlife initiatives and this and that um you know a lot of the places where animals frequent they have like no drone like no drone flying laws too so they're not even getting like photographs and images through drone drone use like a lot of it is like boots on the ground luck you know and obviously you know you'll get some bad actors in there that do use dubious things and stuff like that to try to get like shots of wildlife and stuff like that and you know, maybe in some of these uh, discussion videos and interviews I do with these people, you'll get to hear like the kind of like the, uh, the the controversy or the dirt that's kind of associated with the craft and that's frowned upon. And I think it'll be eye-opening, so I hope everyone checks out any of those episodes that come in the future. Anyway, guys, I'm going to sign off. I've talked your ear off. Uh, I hope you in, uh, enjoy your weekend, and I hope if you get downtime, if you're commuting or, you know, you're just got, you're bored and you're, I don't know, hopefully you turn on this podcast and it it's entertaining for you. All right. Cheers.